0: We have learned that the book of Proverbs is a realistic book that exposes the truth about God, about money, and about sexuality. Dave Wertzen discussed with us the intoxicating pleasure of marital sexual love and the joy God intends for us to have in the marriage relationship. Now let's join Dave as he discusses the other side of the coin. We can know that something's going to kill us. We can know that something might destroy this precious gift of life, and yet we can still be dominated by it. And only Christ can set us free. We want to look at Proverbs two, five, six, 6, and 7 today. Open your Bible to Proverbs 2, 5, 6, and 7. Proverbs chapter 2 talks about being delivered from two evil people. Young people, as you go out into the world, according to the book of Proverbs, there are two evil people that want to get you. One is an evil man. I want to begin with him so that you won't think I'm chauvinistic because it happens to be that the Proverbs uses the symbol of an evil man to represent the danger of illicit wealth. And we're going to be talking more about that. But you remember the messages I gave you on drugs, on Bonnie and Clyde, on the dangers of getting rich quick. Illicit wealth. And the book of Proverbs uses the symbol of a gangster. This man-gangster To represent Him. Now, in Proverbs chapter 2, it says you will also be delivered. It says you will also be delivered in verse 16. It will save you. Wisdom will deliver you from, and then in the NIV translated, the adulteress. The word that's used here is a woman that is outside, away from her normal relationship. She's a woman who is away from home. Away from the authority of her dad. Away from being with people that know her. The basic meaning of the word is anyone that is away from their normal set of relationships. There's always something alluring about that. There's something captivating about that. And so the writer is telling us that as we go out into life, there's going to be this individual who has thrown off the normal bonds of relationships the normal boundaries, the normal responsibility, and they're living footloose and fancy free. In our culture, it might be the jet setter, the freewheeling, fast-living, jet-setting person that's unattached, that's single, that can do her own thing. There's always something alluring about that. In Proverbs, this daddy wants to talk to his children about this individual. But what I want you to realize is that though this woman is a specific woman, that a young man can meet in the culture. And though Proverbs wants every one of you dads to explain to your boys as they come up towards adolescence, that it's very possible they will meet an older woman. The movie, The Summer of 42, developed this whole theme. The knockout, mature, seductive woman. In many ways, painting the picture in beautiful, impressionistic colors. Beautiful music playing, but the young 14-year-old boy has relationships with an older woman. The film Mrs. Robinson and the Graduate, one of the very first films in the 60s that was unbelievably explicit about such a relationship, built on this same theme. The Mrs. Robinson, is in her middle ages, she is a little bit unhappy or very unhappy in her marriage, She lives with a man that does not fulfill her. She's very seductive, and she looks for the young man as a prey. Proverbs is talking about that individual, that older woman who any one of the boys in this audience and any one of the men in this audience could meet. I want you to realize, though, that Proverbs does talk like that. This woman is much bigger than just that real-life Mrs. Robinson. She also represents the whole pull of sexual immorality, which can happen either way. Proverbs, yes, is weighted towards the young men. I think there's some reasons for that. I think if we can get the young men to live morally, we're always blaming it on the girls, but we need to get the young men to be moral. We need to get the men to live pure. And maybe in some ways, maybe it's because men have greater weaknesses that God in His Holy Word shows to focus so much on those young men, those young adolescent boys. But I want you to realize that sexual immorality, though she's presented as a woman in Proverbs, she's much bigger than that. And I also want the ladies to remember that wisdom in the book of Proverbs, God's blueprint for skillful living, is also represented as a woman as well. So it's almost like we have two women that are competing for the life of a young man. And so it's talking about a beautiful sister, a skillful person named Lady Wisdom who wants the young man to fall in love with her. And it uses those sexual desires of early adolescence which are not evil in themselves to try to attract him to follow the life of skillful living and to follow a course of falling in love with Lady Wisdom who will guide that young man into a life of monogamous purity and a happy home and knowing how to live in business. But there's also a seductive, immoral lady folly, lady foolishness, who wants to suck this young man into sin. And so we have these two women, especially in Proverbs 9, competing for the soul of a young individual. And Proverbs says that Lady Wisdom can deliver this young individual from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who leaves the partner of her youth, she ignores the covenant she made before God. Her house leads down to death, and her path to the spirit of the dead. None who go to her return or attain to the path of love. Now that lays out the basic thrust of what this daddy believes about sexual immorality. On the outside, it will be attractive. It will be alluring. It will be bright light. It will be pleasurable experiences. But the reality of it within is it will kill you. And in Proverbs 2, these verses I've just read, it introduces this theme of the dangers of sexual immorality. Then it develops those themes in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. And this week, I want to begin to try to cut a cross-section through those chapters and just expose what this father is laying bare about the sexual immoral relationship. And he begins, first of all, by talking about immorality's character. What is a loose woman like? And you can take a lot of these characteristics, and the girls, the young girls can apply it. A loose man can be like this very much as well. He tells us here in verses 16 through 17 that she's rebellious and she's defiant. I just told you that the word means that she's out of the bonds of relationship. One of the basic characteristics of immorality's desires is she wants to get away. She wants to get away from a legitimate authority. She wants to get away from the husband she married when she was young. She made a covenant when she was a young woman. She promised she would live with somebody for a lifetime. But now it's gotten boring. Now it's not delivering. It's not nearly as exhilarating as it was on the honeymoon. And there's bright lights on Saturday night. There's good music on Friday night. There are discos to go to. The singles bar looks really appropriate. That's what the Scripture is talking about. This woman, say about 38 or 40, that's really a little bit shaky about whether or not life has passed her by, has decided it's time to go for it. The Miller Light ad is right. you got to be with the beautiful people. You need to be out there. It's a Miller kind of a night. The beer ads will show you exactly the kind of a maloo that we're talking about. Because they throw it at you. Strong and powerful. This woman is rebellious. She doesn't respect the promise she made to her husband. A man who's loose is the same way. Covenant promises mean nothing. She's defiant. Turn over to chapter 7, verse 11. Because the writer in chapter 7, verse 11 has a little parenthetical note about this immoral woman. It says she's loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. She is loud. This immoral woman will shout at Dad. She will shout at anybody that tries to say, listen, there's some boundaries. And she's defiant. She's openly defiant. On Nightline the other night, there was a prostitute right on the panel. And the prostitute was telling the nation... That age is not nearly as big a problem among prostitutes because they do it very hygienically. They do it in a very free from disease kind of a way. Openly defiant, saying, there's nothing wrong with what I do. It's a, it's a profession that's been here for centuries. And she was not laughed at. She was not mocked. There was a lot of receptivity to that. That's the kind of the culture we live in. She's defiant. The Scripture and and Judeo-Christian ethic has been saying for ages that prostitution is wrong. That it hurts people. What I want you to realize about it, you might have a prostitute on TV who is defiant and loud saying there's nothing wrong with what I do and I'm healthy and I'm strong. But that's not the reality of prostitution across the land. It's not. I've buried a prostitute. I've been right in the service where I conducted the service and her little girl was only two years old and her mommy was dead because she was a prostitute. Because she was loud and defiant when she was 14. She left home. She went to live in the streets of Dallas and she ended up with a heroin infection that destroyed the aortic valve of her heart and she died. Now that's not a TV story. I live that. I actually was able by the grace of God the Spirit wanted to the Lord And so she's in heaven today. But what I want you to say is it's a lie when this loud, defiant, immoral woman says, it will not hurt. It's okay. Because it does hurt. A lot of you have worked with a woman in in years past in our church whose brains were fried because of immoral relationships. She hardly even knew. The last time she was here, she didn't even know she was here. She wrecked one car after another. I don't know if she's still alive today. So don't believe this loud, defiant rebellion. The homosexual lobby is loud and defiant. And they paint themselves as saying, we are the Savior. We are the ones who have called AIDS to the attention of the nation. They never say it was perverted behavior where it started to develop. There's no repentance. There's just loud, defiant, we're going to do it, and we're going to find a way to be able to overcome the consequences. And that's this loud, defiant spirit of immorality. And you need to realize that. It'll come across rebellious, there'll be slam doors, there'll be shouting, there'll be screaming, there'll be defiance. Now, contrary to what a lot of people think, immorality in its character is a blast. I want every one of you to realize that you've heard it right from the Holy Scripture that immorality is a lot of fun. It's like plugging yourself into a 220-volt socket as far as the exhilaration. It'll send you from the tip of your toes to the split ends of your hair. You'll probably get higher in immorality than you'll ever get any other time. In fact, if you take drunks with it, it'll send you into orbit. And the Scripture says that. Chapter 5, verse 6. It says that the character of immorality is that it's intensely pleasure and it's pleasure right now. It says she gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. And then in chapter 7, she says in verse 18, come let's drink deep of love till the morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. She says we're going to have a blast. We're going to enjoy this relationship. The key statement of immorality is pleasure right now at any cost. And Satan can deliver on pleasure now. I want you to look again at the verse I read, chapter 5, verse 6. She gives no thought to the way of life. Every one of you listen. When Satan starts to tempt you to get involved in immorality, one of the ways to know that you're beginning to slide into that spirit, one of the ways to know that you're beginning to fall prey to that, is that you give no thought to tomorrow. You give no thought to what might happen down there. The issue is not your kids. The issue is not what mom and dad are going to think. The issue is not will this person be a good husband or a good wife. The issue is I want pleasure right now. She gives no thought to the way of life. Now, in our teenage years, that's a very difficult issue. And a lot of parents misjudge. Because a lot of parents feel, if I can talk about the consequences down the road, if I can get them to listen, then I've got them. If I can show them that it's going to produce terrible consequences down there, then they won't do it. And what a lot of us as parents misjudge is that there's many teenagers The issue is, I don't care what's down there. What I care about is right now, 30 minutes from now, is maybe as far into the future as I look, especially for the immoral person. And I don't want to be hard on the adolescent, because adults that start to fall prey to this are exactly the same way. It is they give no thought to the way of life. You see... Young people and adults, I want you to give a lot of thought to life. I want you to think about where this person would lead you. I want you to think about what kind of a character that they have. Would they be a good husband? Would they be a good wife? Would they be someone that will keep promises? Will they be someone that will stick with you when life gets really hard? Because that's really what's involved in life. That's really where, where life needs to be lived if it's going to be lived skillfully. You can't build a society on a single bar. You can't build a society on people that that live to party. It's not an environment where you can bring precious little babies and where they'll be safe. And that's one of the greatest joys of life. I think back over my own life. The joy of, of the early days of marriage. And then the joys of bringing a little baby into the world and providing a home for that. Filled are the deepest, pleasurable, meaningful values deep in my heart. And you can't do that in a single scene, barring it up, hopping from one situation to another. You can't build that when pleasure now, exhilaration now. In Texas Monthly this week, a swinging single writes, he's now about my age, he writes about how hurt he is Because his lifestyle is coming to a screeching halt. The very immoral article when he says he he is incredibly hurt that now he just can't make love with any woman who might come along because of the threat of AIDS. He said, you know, herpes was a disease that just caused, caused a few blisters. And that put a crimp in that style. But now we've got a situation where you could die. There was no remorse, no real repentance, No saying, maybe my lifestyle is wrong, but just this horrible, I can't believe I'm living in the no decade. Because I used to live in the yes decade. Talking about going to UT at Austin, where it was just, you know, have a good time. And people smashed all weekend long. Now, not that everyone's doing that. That's not what everyone's doing. There's a whole lot of young people in all of our universities that don't believe that at all. But you understand the theme. And the character of the morality is that you begin to think in your mind, there's no tomorrow, the world might blow up, I have no future anyway, I might die anyway, let's just go for it now. Pleasure now. You know the tragedy of that is? They don't even know that they're seduced. They don't even know that they're living in this deadly, erroneous lie. When I work with someone that is living this lifestyle, if they even come to see me, if they come to see me, then I really praise God. Or if they they go to see a biblical counselor that wants to help them, then there's tremendous hope. But usually when you talk to this individual, I'm the messed up one. I'm the one that doesn't know what life is about. I'm the one who's so dumb and so old-fashioned and so out of touch with reality I'm the one that's still trucking along with, with an epic that should have been thrown out, you know, with a horse and buggy. If you're a mom and dad, you're the dumb one. Some of you moms and dads have experienced this. You know, as a child moves away into this, into this realm of deception. You're the stupid one. You're the dumb one. And that's what Proverbs is telling us. They don't give a thought to the way of life and they don't even know it. They don't even know that they're living in this realm. So watch out. When you start to see yourself focusing just on exhilarating pleasure right now, that's all I care about, watch out. It's the character of immorality beginning to develop. It's incredibly crafty. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 10 says that this woman, this immorality, has a crafty intent. It says she's dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. Immorality is incredibly smart. They're not only smart with their mouth, but they're incredibly cunning. A homosexual on that Nightline program the other day, a playwright from New York, talked about having relationships with with over a thousand people and being able to do it without having any threat of disease. And he made a mockery. When someone talked about purity in such a relationship, he would just laugh. And then he would come out with a very skillful literary remark because he's a great playwright that would make everybody laugh. It's a total mockery, but incredibly cunning and skillful. When Akash the Fool plays on Broadway year after year, you've got a very brilliant musician with beautiful melodies and a very skillful, twisted plot. Because immorality is incredibly crafty, incredibly subtle, very gifted in the way that they use language. And we're going to look. Proverbs has... A videotape, you might say, a dramatic presentation of all that this woman, all that immorality will say. The tragedy is that they're deceived. As I've just been saying, her paths are crooked, but she doesn't know. So these are the characteristics that Proverbs brings out about immorality's character. And all of us need to pray for one another because I don't want you to sit there and say, well, that's not my problem at all. That's all out there. But it's not out there for me. I'll really level with you. These characteristics are part of my old nature. Don't you sit there and pretend they're not part of your old nature. They are. We need to be honest. God's grace calls us to be honest. So not all of us have the same problem to the same intensity in the same area. But we are sons of Adam and being born again believers makes you new people in Christ. But I don't believe that the old nature has been totally annihilated until we go home to be with the Lord. And I've done enough counseling over the last couple of years to make me want to just turn completely away from Christians. To be honest with you. Because I see so much twistedness. So much immorality. But I want you to know that I'm not turning away from Christianity at all. Because my Lord Jesus Christ is pure and He'll always be pure. And He is the one that I'm following. But He is realistic. If Jesus Christ were speaking today, you would hear truth, and He would tell you the truth because He loved you. He loved you more than anybody could ever love you. But He's not a twisted, perverted Christ. A Roman Catholic priest the other night in that program said, "As far as He knew, Jesus said very little about sex." How could you ever say that? Jesus said, "If we look upon a woman and commit immorality in our heart, we've already done it," and He said, "We're worthy of going to hell for that." It's not a Jesus that doesn't have any ethical standards. He went on to say that Jesus Christ, we see Jesus Christ in, a, in an AIDS victim. In the suffering of an AIDS victim, we meet Jesus Christ because there is the suffering God. Now I want to say we need to love AIDS victims. Jesus Christ can cause AIDS victims to be born again. He can help them to have eternal life which could beat even the grave. As Christians, we need to cure homosexuality that's sin like any other heterosexuality. But we don't say that Jesus looks in the eyes of every person and says, you're okay, do whatever you want to do. Live any way you want to. And that's me. There's ethics. There's morality. Jesus is the Creator. It's a horrible thing to say that that every behavior is fine. And you can meet Jesus in all kinds of behavior. You cannot. Jesus one day is going to return from heaven in the book of Revelation. It tells us, and He's going to to break forth with flashing, lightning judgment against all the wickedness of men. The wrath of God even today is breaking forth against all unrighteousness of men. We live in such a twisted time. Even Jesus gets Twisted and perverted in what is labeled liberation theology. Jesus, I want you to know, tells you in His holy word, Jesus is ultimately the author. He is the wisdom of God of the book of Proverbs. If Jesus were here today, He would say, these are the characteristics of immorality. It's rebellious and it's defiant. It's pleasure now without any thought of the future. It is crafty and it's deceived. We need to realize that. Now, what does immorality look like? What's what's her appearance? Turn to chapter 5, verse 3. We'll begin reading with verse 1. It says, My sons, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion, that your lips may preserve knowledge. It says that the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, She is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life, her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. The lips of an adulteress grip, honey. The scripture wants us to keep descriptions, discretion with our lips. It says in chapter 6, verse 25, it says, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty. Or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute or the immoral woman reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulterous praise upon your very life. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty. Don't let her captivate you with her eyes. There is the dress of immorality. Proverbs is saying that every young man is incredibly attracted through the eye gate. Now, let me just clear something up. Scripture is not saying that it's morally wrong for a woman to be beautiful, for a woman to be very pleasing in appearance. In fact, to be honest with you, the dress of an immoral person is connected to the heart of an immoral person. And two people doing the same things and wearing the same things are not doing the same things with the same intent. Heart is a key thing. And I don't want to fall into the trap of so many preachers that I know that will talk all about the girls and what they dress like and what they do and throw all the blame on them, because I happen to know that a lot of those guys speak like that because they haven't really come to grips with their own sexuality. And they're not pure in their own thought life. And they're just pouring out a lot of vehement anger because of it. But I do want you to know, the young men need to know, there is a woman who's dressed as a trap. And she uses her eyes as a trap. The tragedy of our culture is the television just just sprays this kind of thing at you. It's the instant. Many teenagers think it's just the, the normal way to be. And a lot of them do it very innocently because Dad hasn't realized My 15-year-old daughter is not three anymore. And so a lot of times, you'll have young people that are beginning to adopt certain actions, certain behaviors, certain appearances. And they're not even aware of what they're doing. But the men know. I went to breakfast with a man, a Christian businessman's breakfast. And at that breakfast, I was sitting there with a man. And the man just leaned over to me and, and just happened to mention there was a woman down at the end of the table saying, man, that woman must have got up at 3 o'clock to get ready for that breakfast. And sure enough, she was the typical North Dallas, big-time coach-like man. She was dressed to kill at a breakfast at 7 o'clock in the morning. But what I want all of you to know is that man noticed it, and that marriage broke up two years later, because he was an immoral man sleeping with many different women. There's gravitation. It's amazing. You can take a camp of 700 kids, and in one day, the kids that are alike mind will go like this. The kids that have these attitudes, that are living for these desires, will just go. They all gather together. I want you to realize that there is there is a there's an attraction, a physical attraction. The Lord means for that physical attraction to be used in marriage. In fact, the same words that are used here of the allurement of the immoral woman will be used in the Song of Solomon of the allurement that a wife has in attracting her husband. And all these same terminologies will be used in a very holy, sacred way. But the immoral person uses those good, God-given things to be enjoyed, to be exhilarated by, but she uses them in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's very important for us to recognize this. And I think it applies in the area of pornography. There's a lot of men that when they're young men, begin to be allured by the physical appearance of the immoral woman. And our society takes that very lightly. And I want to say to the girls, the tragedy of pornography is the girls, the you girls. It's what it does. What it causes a man to think about a woman. You become a thing. You become a purchase, like a like just like a, an animal, like a piece of flesh. And I respect you enough. I think that's one of the key things: is the respect that women should have for themselves and what God's family should have for women. That we realize that those things are wrong, and yet this creeping thing can come over us. And we begin to give in to that allurement, to that attraction. You know, the great thing in all of this is that the Bible's very realistic about these things. We're going to go on. We've talked about a very heavy thing today. And I'm talking to you, trying to be very straight. I'm kind of trying to do it very tastefully. But Mom and Dad, I want you to know the game has become very serious. I let my boy... Watched four hours the other night. Just stayed up with me and we talked. The reason I did that is because it's time to stop blushing because our kids' very lives might depend upon it. The game has become incredibly serious. Penicillin is not cutting it anymore with its disease. We're not just talking about the threat of getting pregnant. We are talking about the threat of having ourselves and our kids lose their lives. And I don't say that just to scare you. That is a sober, honest judgment. And it's not just the United States. It is the world, Africa, South America. The crisis is exploding. That we need to be afraid, we need to be respectful. If ever we need to turn to the Word of God, if ever we needed to cry upon Christ to help us to live pure, today is the day. You know what I want to share with you? Jesus Christ does tell us the truth about immorality's character, about her appearance. Next we'll go on and talk about her words. We'll talk about her consequences. And I'm going to try to share with you what I believe is some cure. How to beat those immoral desires. How to beat those lusts that we all wrestle with. But you know, the great thing is that I don't just talk to you about immorality. Today's kind of a very strange day because I had to give a very difficult subject from the Holy Word of God. But I want you to know that you have a Savior who's honest, who's truthful, but He's also a Savior that can take little children that can be raised in homes where a grandparent or a mom and dad really love them, and they they can believe the truth when they're little, and if they can apply the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, they can grow up to be pure, to be faithful, to be a woman of God. I know the problem probably better than anybody. I dealt with everything from incest to murder to homosexuality right here in this town. But I'm not cynical this morning. I am not cynical at all. I am desperately in love because our Savior is alive and well in the world today. It's an incredibly dark time, but it's also a time of incredible light.